me for the reading of God's word this morning. Good morning, my name is Eliana, and I will be reading... John 1, 12 through 19. John 12, 1 through 19. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and whipped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of their perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what he was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd had come to feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just like it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, done to him, the crowd had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, well, good morning. I can whisper this morning. I'm not used to that. <laughs> so I want to thank you very much for the opportunity to preach again here today. Uh, Paul, especially, I want to thank you for the extending that opportunity to me. It's always a joy to be here and, and to be a part of this worship service, and, and it's an extreme joy to be able to preach at this service. So let me ask you a question. Have you made a New Year's resolution or a goal of some kind? I know a lot of people dislike resolutions. I'm one of those people, actually. But it seems like every year 
this time of year comes around where we start something new, and I feel like I have to make some kind of goal. Um, usually it's weight loss, of course, but uh, this year I decided I was going to do something completely different. I decided I was going to try to learn Spanish. Yeah, pray for me. I'm not very good at English, but it is a goal, and I'm going to try to, to do it, so uh, please um, keep me in prayer on that. Um, and as Paul mentioned, we are finishing up, we just finished our, our series in Psalms, and we're, we were looking at the coming Messiah, and we're celebrating his birth. So let's let that attitude of Advent prepare our mood as we look to the Messiah as our King. Today we're going to resume the series in John that we started about a year ago, looking at the signs of life, about who Jesus was and his ministry. When we were doing our um, sermon prep, um, Pastor Tom Nelson um, was speaking to us uh, regarding the Psalms about when he went to Jerusalem, uh, he also went to the city of Bethlehem. And the city of Bethlehem actually sits down below Jerusalem. Jerusalem sits up on a hill or a mount, actually. And uh, Pastor Tom was telling us that the caves where Jesus was more than likely were born in, those caves looked up to Jerusalem. So as we move on in our sermon series today, let's also remind ourselves that metaphorically we're taking a journey from the birth to Jesus' death. And as we look at that, we have to not only look at our king promise that we just got finished in the Psalms with, but we have to also behold our king. So the first 12 chapters of John celebrated the first three years of Jesus' public ministry primarily. The last 10 chapters of John are, will mainly deal with his last week of life. Isn't that amazing that so much time is spent on the last week of Jesus' life? So as uh, we read, and thank you, Ileana, for doing that, um, you're looking at that passage and you're thinking, is it Palm Sunday? Did I miss something? Did I wake up late or something? Yeah, it's January, and no, it's not Palm Sunday, uh, but we are looking at that passage today. So please uh, open up your Bibles to John chapter 12 if you haven't done it yet, and let's just read the first couple verses here. I'm going to read a slightly different version, uh, but it's pretty much the same. John chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, and the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus the one was one of the, those reclining at the table with him. So the first thing we can see is that we can behold our king by becoming a friend of Jesus. Now, there are three very important friends that are mentioned in this passage. It's also interesting to note that the apostles aren't really talked about until the very end. That includes John himself, the writer of this book. Usually he inserts himself into the story at some points, but this time he doesn't even talk about himself. Besides Jesus, the other, one of the most prominent people in this chapter was Lazarus. Now, to understand Lazarus, we have to go back to John chapter 11. And you're thinking, well, I don't remember us covering John chapter 11 in our last sermon series. And Pastor Paul was kind enough to explain to me when I brought that up that that was because we got behind a little bit and we had to cut one of the sermons. So we didn't cover that. But he did send out an email reminding us that uh, that was the last part of the Signs of Life sermon series. 
So in John chapter 11, a very interesting event happens. Probably one of my favorite stories in Scripture, that and, and the Mount Carmel experience. Lazarus was sick. So his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent for their good friend and Messiah, Jesus. Jesus, upon hearing this, doesn't come rushing to Lazarus' side. Instead, he proclaims that Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. And he takes his time getting back. A few verses later, Jesus ends up telling his disciples that Lazarus had actually died. Seemed like a conflict there, right? So Jesus then goes ahead and, and journeys to Bethany to where Lazarus was buried. And uh, when, by the time he had arrived, Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Jesus comes across these mourning sisters and these people who were very uh, upset about uh, Lazarus' death. And Jesus asked to go to the tomb. So there becomes this procession that goes to the tomb, a mourning procession as we've often uh, seen. And they go to the tomb. And upon seeing the reaction of the, the crowd, Jesus says something or does something very interesting. He sees Mary and the other uh, people mourning. And he also becomes overcome with his emotion of what's happening, about their hopelessness and their grief. And then Jesus does this. John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in all of Scripture, but also one of the most powerful verses that we can have. Because this shows that Jesus, the God who descended down from his throne in heaven to take up resonance with this as a human, felt full emotion. He felt grief for what the situation was. And Jesus weeps. Now, I know a lot of times we think about God as some being some distant being out there who doesn't really care about us. But this shows that our God cares deeply about us. He wept for us. So Jesus gets to the tomb, and he asks for the stone of the tomb to be rolled away, which was a very unusual request. He says a quick prayer, and then he shouts out to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out! Now, i got to imagine that the scene here, which is absolutely chaotic, people are thinking, what in the world are you doing? And after a few moments... Out comes Lazarus, hopping because he's still wrapped in his burial cloths. So this, this situation goes from a time of extreme mourning to absolute amazement, almost laughter at the situation. Now we get into John chapter 12, and it's six days before the Passover, and Jesus comes and they're given a dinner at Bethany to, to celebrate Jesus again. And a very interesting person is reclining at the table. Lazarus. Now, there isn't a time stamp on how long the, from his death to this dinner had happened. But we see that Jesus comes back and Lazarus is there. He's in the house. He's reclining at the dinner table. And he's having a good time with Jesus, his friend. On display here 
is a miracle of Jesus. On display here is an attitude of laughing and rejoicing and being together. Now, I don't know about you, but I like superhero movies. Some of the powers that these superheroes have, I wish I had. I mean, it'd be nice to be invisible or to be able to fly or do all these things. But I don't know about you, but I want to be friends with someone who has the power to perform miracles. I want to be friends with someone who has the ability to conquer death. I want to accept Jesus as king of my life because he is the true superhero. Now, according to verse 9, let's read that here real quick. It says, Then a large crowd of the Jews learned he was there, and they came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one he had raised for the dead. Therefore the chief priests decided to kill Lazarus also, because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. So the chief priests became very excited about what was happening here. And uh, they decided that uh, they needed to do something about this. And we'll talk about that more in here in just a second. The second thing we can see today is that we can behold our king by showing our devotion to him. Let's look down at verses 2 through 7 again. It says, so they, came, so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of the people reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of fragrant oil and poured the expensive nard, anointing Jesus' feet, and wiped them, his feet with her hair. So the whole house was filled with the fragrance of oil. Then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag, and he would steal part of it, that when it was used, when it was put in, I mean. Jesus answered, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. So the other two people that are really important in this passage to mention are Mary and Martha. Now Martha, being the devoted, godly woman that she is, in her own way, was making sure that everything was perfect as these men lounged around the table. I can just imagine the fire going and, and the guy sitting around the table and here's Martha kind of buzzing around just making sure everybody has what they need. So Martha is serving and working hard, but then Mary does, and Mary would have been helping, but then Mary does something that was kind of odd in this situation. She goes and she sits down at the feet of Jesus. She sits at the feet of Jesus in adoration. And she was probably listening to the conversation and, and taking everything in. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, matter of fact, uh, if you guys haven't picked this up, that, this is the Form Life Journal. It's part of this sermon series, so please pick this up. Uh, they're outside the door here. And they're very important because they lead us through the sermon series. Part of the lesson for this week was a passage from Psalm 1611. It says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I can just imagine Mary sitting there and thinking about this psalm and thinking about the man that she's sitting at the feet of, and then she does something very 
unexpected. Mary gets up, and she goes to get some very expensive perfume that she was probably saving for some big event, maybe her wedding, maybe some other event, I don't know. And she takes this perfume that would have been sealed with this wax ring, and she probably had to break it open, and she starts using this oil to anoint the feet of Jesus. Now, this perfume cost almost a year's wages. So think about this with me. 300 denarii, in today's value, this would have been worth about thirty dollars or $40,000. Can you imagine using something that expensive to clean someone's feet? She unseals it, she pours it on Jesus' feet, and then she also does something even more unexpected. She doesn't have a towel with her, Instead, she uses her hair as the towel. Now, in this culture, women don't, didn't normally touch men. So that was a very uncommon thing to happen. But also, it was also considered kind of a lowly act to touch someone's feet. But Mary's doing both of these things. Now, this act of anointing Jesus' feet is very similar to the act of a servant, when a king is taking their throne, a servant will come and anoint the head of, of the king. In the same way, she is anointing Jesus as king. So where is your devotion to Christ? Are you willing to give up so much for Christ, as Mary did here? Is Christ first in your life that you would give him your most expensive object? Now, these actions of Mary do not settle well in the room, but again, we'll talk about that more near the end here. The third thing I want to see this morning is that we can behold our king by celebrating his rule. Let's look at verses 12 through the end of the chapter. The next day, the large crowd had come to the festival, had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took psalm branches and went out to meet him, And they kept shouting, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed one, the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it was written, fear no more, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, they remembered these things that were written about him that had been done uh, these things to him, that they had done these things to him. Meanwhile, the crowd, which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify. This is also why the crowd met him, because they had heard what he had done this sign. And the Pharisees said to one another, Look, you have accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So Jesus decides to go into Jerusalem, and this crowd is, is gathered outside to see Lazarus and Jesus because they'd heard about what had happened, about Lazarus being raised from the dead, and here's this great sign of this dead man now with this man who had raised him from the dead. And as this crowd gathers to see him and Jesus decides to go into Jerusalem, they follow Jesus into Jerusalem. Well, Jesus then stops and he asks for his disciples to go get a donkey. Uh, this is talked about in some of the other Gospels in a little bit more detail. And 
They throw their cloaks on top of the donkey. Jesus is put on top of the donkey, and he is led in Israel. And this is where we get Palm Sunday from. We always have the kids come with the waving the palms. Well, they would have thrown these palms down the street, and the donkey would have, would, would have come in on, in Jerusalem on the, on the palms. And this was to signify the coronation of a king. So this crowd is recognizing who the Messiah is, and they're praising him as the king who has promised to come. Now, they're under Roman rule. So when the king comes into Israel, this is a big thing since they are under Roman rule. Now, this, this prophecy uh, from Zechariah 9.9 was one that described the Messiah coming into Jerusalem about him sitting on the, the, the donkey. So John appropriately references that here. But it isn't until after these things happen that his disciples and apostles start thinking about these things and they realize that this is all fulfillment of what the Old Testament said about their Messiah. So we have this contrast between these three friends of Jesus who go out of their way to do extraordinary things for Jesus. They have this great devotion. And then we have the disciples and apostles that are kind of figuring these things after the fact. Isn't that interesting? These men that were closest to him didn't exactly get what was happening here. So he gets a very humble coordination as king. Not the king that they were expecting, but still he gets his coronation as a king. Does Jesus get this kind of celebration in your life? When you're going through your daily life, are you celebrating who Jesus is? Are you telling people, I'm happy to be serving my king? Because he is still the king of our lives. Now, there are people in the crowd that are seeing these signs, that are seeing this miracle, and the word continues to spread about who Jesus is. And this becomes a great problem to many of the people around him. Notice the people who weren't happy about all this happening. The first one that are mentioned is the chief priests and Pharisees. These were the spiritual leaders of Israel. If anybody should have been happy about the Messiah coming, it should have been the people that had been preaching about the Messiah. But that's not the people that are happy about this here. They are very concerned, and one of the chief reasons why they were concerned is because they didn't want to lose their power. Now remember, they're under Roman rule. The Romans had all the power. They were allowing them to exist, but the Romans could take away that power at any time. And this eventually did happen. The Romans sacked Israel, destroyed Israel. The, two, the uh, temple was completely leveled. So their concern was actually very valid. But instead of accepting their Messiah and worshiping the Messiah, they instead decide to plot against him. They not only plot against him, but they also plot against Lazarus. Now I want you to notice the humor here for a second. Jesus had just raised this man from the dead and the spiritual leaders of Israel are wanting him dead again. Instead of accepting this incredible miracle, those who were supposed to be in charge of them spiritually are doing the exact wrong thing.
The other person that we have to mention here is Judas Iscariot. Judas was part of Jesus' inner circle. He was one of the apostles. He saw everything that Jesus had done. But it's interesting to note that when Mary uses this oil, his concern is not for why she's doing this or what this means. His concern is, his stated concern is, is that, hey, we could have used this on the poor. But John very pointedly points out here that that wasn't his concern at all. His concern was that he was in charge of the money bag and he wanted to steal the money. How stark is that to think about one of those that were the closest to Jesus wanting to steal from Jesus? We as God's people have to be very careful that we are not making excuses to do the wrong thing because it is the easiest thing to do. Our society wants us to deny what we believe. Our society tells us that we should believe something else. Our society asks us to compromise all the time. But we need to behold our king in every circumstance. When we live our Christian lives, it's not about what I believe. It's about what the Bible says. It's not about what I believe. It's about what God wants. So we got to make sure that as we come out of Christmas into this new year, that we remember that when we celebrate the birth of Christ, we celebrate the baby, we can't throw out the Messiah. If we accept the baby, then we have to accept the Messiah as well. We have to behold our King. Will we be devoted to the king and be devoted to what he wants instead of our own desires? That's a question we should be asking daily. Do I devote myself to the king or do I devote myself to myself? Do you behold our king today? Let's pray. Most precious Heavenly Father, I just thank you so very much for every opportunity to look at your word and to see who you are. Father, I thank you that you are a friend of ours. Father, I thank you not only for being a friend of ours, but I thank you for the fact that you give us the option to be devoted to you and accept you as king. So, Father, I pray that you allow your Holy Spirit to do its work today in our hearts and our minds and that we would fully accept who you are, that we would not compromise, but we would see you for the glorious king that you are, the Lord of our lives. So, Father, as we go from this place today, I pray that we would not only share the good news of who you are and celebrate you, but we would live our lives daily, accepting you as Messiah. I pray this all in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Uh, We'll prepare our hearts to go into a time of communion now. We do open communion here. If you are a follower of Christ and belong to his family, then we come to the table. Um, This is open for anyone that follows him. And if that's not you today, uh, we're so glad that you're here. And you can use this time to sit. Um, Maybe think about what 
what is holding back? What is holding you back? What what is it that is hard to think about following this king? Um, what sounds terrifying to give up or to change? And even for us um, as followers of Christ, if there is anything that feels hard to turn over, to fully behold him, um, to surrender to him in our lives. Um, so as you prepare to come to the table, we can spend a moment to pray and lay these things down before him. So we have four communion stations, two at the back and two up at the front. And the two at the front are for the side um, corners over here, and you can file against the wall to the communion station. And then for our middle section, you can go to the back communion stations, whichever one is closer to you. Uh, you'll take come in groups of five to seven. This is a family meal, and we do it together. And you'll take the gluten-free bread and dip it in the juice at the direction of your server and then take it together. So sit at the feet of Jesus and come to the table as you're ready.